wives their husbands as the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall I teach my people, or say to them, in the midst of the city, it shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The second lesson is from the third letter, from the letter of the Romans, the third chapter. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? 
Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, and he will justify the circumcised on the ground of faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 8th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham, and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to tell you a story about survival, uh, not about one of those guys out in the wilderness fighting off grizzlies and eating berries, though such men are impressive. It's not the story of someone who's down and out and makes a rags-to-riches comeback. In fact, it's not even the story about a person at all. It's about the survival of of the scriptures, of God's word. We take it for granted that we have access to this word in virtually every known language at any time, at no cost, even on extremely early manuscripts going back centuries. You know, they've actually photographed almost all of the ancient manuscripts, and they're on the internet for anyone to see for free. You don't even have to fly to Europe or anything. But it is the case that the survival of the scriptures is nothing short of amazing. From the earliest days, the mere writing of the scriptures would have been a Herculean task. Of course, only educated people, few in number, could have done the writing to begin with, and that was after something like vellum and ink were acquired at no small cost. Brittle copies would have been handed down for 
generations and stored, and storage would not have been easy given humidity and weather and fire, uh, you know, sacking of cities and so on and so forth. Even if you've ever tried to handwrite copy something, you, you know it's not nearly as easy as it looks, right? You make mistakes in spelling and punctuation and so on and so forth. Even in the Bible, we have evidence that the scriptures, some of them, were lost for a period. King Josiah undergoes a temple renovation, and they discover 14 chapters of Deuteronomy that had just been lost. And as a result of these scriptures now being found, he instituted pretty strict reform of temple worship practices. The New Testament documents were written in a different fashion from the Old Testament documents. They're uh, more sporadic, you might say, letters and gospels written, intended to be passed around by a small group of people, sometimes persecuted. The distribution and the copying of these documents ensured us that we do possess the autographs, that is to say, the original words, even though, of course, we don't have John's first gospel or Paul's first letter to the Romans. But what we have are copies of these documents all over the known world at the time that once we find them, we can later compare them to one another and say, we are 99% certain that the original was this wording and not that. In many respects, we now have an embarrassment of riches. But that's a modern uh, benefit that we have. It wasn't always the case. These manuscripts themselves survived because diligent monks across the continent of Europe copied these and safely stored these documents for centuries. There's one famous story of a well-preserved copy that was saved from destruction, actually. There was a 19th century Bible scholar by the name of Constantine von Tischendorf, and uh, he's thought to be one of the possible inspirations for Indiana Jones, if you can believe it. He had quite a colorful life, but he recounts this one time of going to uh, St. Catherine's Monastery at Mount Sinai. Yeah, that Mount Sinai because he had heard that there was a copy of the a Bible there. And sure enough, what we now call Codex Sinaiticus, a fourth century copy of the complete Bible in Greek, was found there. The problem was that he discovered there is this grouping of pages on the ground in a basket that were being used to start fires. So here was the word of God, these ancient copies, and he had to convince them, no, give them to me, I'll preserve them, and so on and so forth. It's a long story, and there are doubts as to how, how much of that is true. But the story of him preserving pieces, of ancient fragments and so forth, the manuscripts from going into the fire is believed to be true. And so you see then, through travel, persecution, weather, storms, the difficulties of writing itself, and even often overlooked spiritual battles like unbelief or rank ignorance, the scriptures were preserved in spite of all of that. They survived like no other ancient documents have, and now we have them at our fingertips, on our phone, at a moment's notice. But it's not just that these words and pages have survived that is so remarkable. It's the meaning of those words 
that have survived. The Christian message has spread like leaven in a lump of dough throughout the world. Yes, of course, by reading the surviving texts, if you don't have the text, then you can't read them, but also by believing those words and defending those words. For just because we have the words doesn't mean that we rightly understand them. Indeed, even in our own day, as we are surrounded by all these Bibles and even all these Bible scholars, the plain meaning of the Bible is missed time and time again. In Christian history, we see men and women who work heroically for the Bible's survival. And of course, we know many of the big names, like Augustine or Athanasius, Jan Hus, a reformer, about a hundred years before Luther, and then it's Reformation Day, we have to make a mention of Martin Luther. But 99.9% of the Bible's survival is due to anonymous mothers and fathers and pastors and deacons who through the centuries taught the Bible stories to their children and to their flocks. You can have all the great people of history you want, but if followers of Jesus do not tell the next generation about him, then all of their work will be for naught. Indeed, sometimes it's the experts who make the survival of the scriptures the most difficult. In Luther's day, of course, it was the church itself that he had to fight because the church was promoting false teachings. In our own day, Bible scholars can be some of the most dangerous people of all. People often assume a Bible scholar must know everything about the Bible. They must be an expert or they must be a believer. I mean, why would an unbeliever want to study the Bible? Trust me, lots of the Bible scholars out there are not believers at all. Listen to some fascinating words written by Soren Kierkegaard, a Lutheran philosopher maybe 150 years ago or so, and he understood in his day the dangers of Bible scholarship. He said this, the matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. Christian scholarship is the church's prodigious invention to defend itself against the Bible, to ensure that we can continue to be good Christians without the Bible coming too close. He is exactly right. In Luther's day, Reformation was needed because the church had monopolistically schemed to distort the clear teachings of the Bible. In our own day, it might also just be the experts. You see, I agree with pietists like Soren Kierkegaard. The Bible is actually pretty easy to understand. The message is clear and consistent from beginning to end. We were created good, but we fell into sin. God became flesh 
took on the sins of the world. And through repentance and faith, we are offered the grace of God. That grace frees us, declares us innocent, offers us peace with God. No works or indulgences or deeds or pilgrimages can compete with Christ's work on the cross. We are justified by grace through faith alone, and faith itself is a gift from God. And upon receiving Christ through the power of the Spirit, we seek to live for God and to honor Christ as our Lord. No one, no thing, no idol, no unbiblical desire can compete with Jesus, whose clear teachings have survived historically since the days that he walked the earth. Because the church was the dominant institution in Luther's day, it was the church that needed to be reformed, to be reminded of the scriptures. Luther contributed mightily to the survival of the scriptures, not the least of which by translating them over a period of about 10 years into German. But really what Luther did was he took the truth that was always there. It was the, the germ of yeast in the whole uh, dough, and he grew it, and the word survived. Uh, now the church has a lot less influence. We face a tidal wave of unchurched and undisciplined or undiscipled, really, an uninterested generation. There are no silver bullets to change their mind. That must be the work of the Spirit. And so it will be that we will face unusual times in the church in the years ahead, with fewer disciples of Jesus defending a way of life over and against more of those who could care less. But the Word will survive. It always has. It always will. So if there's one takeaway this Reformation Sunday, I want it to be this. God's will is never thwarted. His word will never disappear. Not even an election will change that. His word has survived for millennia. And the clear meaning of the word has also survived. And this is the message that we share with those we know. That though we fall short of God's glory, God loves us and has given his son to die for us. And because of what he has done, promises us the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. That's the ultimate survival story, isn't it? Eternal life. Teach that message to your children and your grandchildren. Share it with your neighbors. It really is a great story of survival. Amen.
We confess our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed on page 105. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Mighty Father, you breathe out scripture for instruction and in righteousness, yet we see it twisted and distorted in service to politics and greed. Grant that your church on earth steel itself against itching ears and any perversion of holy writ. Instead of pandering to transient fashion, and offering fables to the faint-hearted, let it always fulfill its ministry and do the work of evangelism. Lord, in your mercy. Savior Christ, you should be the guiding light of our communities. We hear one group say this and another that, and still others, no, our way. How are mortals to choose? Only you, through your precepts, Make us wiser than those who offer little except chaos and destruction. So let our people taste the sweet words out of your mouth and turn their backs forever on false ways. Lord, in your mercy. Come to us, Holy Spirit, and lift the burden of a fallen world from our hearts. Our teeth are on edge. We are in distress, and we fear that our children will eat the sour grapes that we have sown. We have your promised covenant, and we would be faithful and true to your word, but our unaided efforts are pitiful. Open our eyes and minds to your truth, forgive our many sins, and write our names in your book of life. Lord, in your mercy. God of healing, we pray for those who are in need, especially Minnie Lou Geckler, Alberta Rogers, Carl W. Sontag, Carol Sternow, William Stone, and those we name before you.
Deliver them from their distress and grant them the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We ask your special blessing on Dr. John Fielder and his family, medical missionaries to Kenya. Preserve them from injury and disease and strengthen them in their care for all who seek their help. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Have mercy. We like to pretend that we are basically decent and respectable and confess that we are not eager to wrestle with you or take responsibility for sin in our lives. We believe, Lord. Please help our unbelief. Lord, in your mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. peace of the Lord be with you always. And also with you. Jesus shall bring well. 